You are Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in a Friday Locked On Syracuse, a little bit more like it from the basketball team last night, a 75-45 win. We'll take it. I mean, Niagara looked pretty bad, as expected. They clearly were rusty, but Tim Leonard, Tyler Well, what did Rocky, we tell you? What did we tell everyone, Tim? We said if they if they couldn't shoot the three ball, they had no chance. Six of 36 yep. from three. So Yeah, we, we probably did pretty bad in the prop shop because we were both on the over on that. And then the Kadari-Richmond minutes, we said it'd be like right around 15 and a half, and we both said just barely under, but that was operating on the assumption that Buddy Beheim would play, and... And that completely shot down that bet. But you know I think what that's... someone needs to do? Brilliant, brilliant strategy here. And maybe we should we should come up with it too. But you know the the account old takes exposed. Mm-hmm. We need to come up with an account COVID takes exposed. And <laughs> yeah. basically, what it does is it accounts for that, right? COVID takes exposed, and then boom, we have to we get a revised COVID take on things. That's what we should get with that. Yeah, you should just start that. Everyone says they've got brilliant ideas, and then they give it out to people. Why don't you just right. fire up that Twitter account on your own? But I should. The uh, I think the biggest takeaways from this game were two things. The the positive takeaways were Kadari Richmond, Quincy, and Woody looked great. And the two freshmen played well. I, I think we can talk about Woody in a little bit. Maybe that's getting a little bit overhyped. But let's start with... Uh, Kadari and Quincy and then I guess the other big takeaway was Joe Girard was really bad well, again. actually I think you want to start with a little bit of Buddy Beheim because that was weird wasn't yeah. it like before the game and we haven't even talked about the the weirdness of, of the the dome roof leaking from a night before either um but just all sorts of weird happening with Syracuse basketball right now both on the men's and the women's side yeah, and then the clock malfunctioned at the start of the game. It's just kind of a, a twenty twenty. I don't know about there. you, but did you get a broadcast malfunction? Yep the uh, the microphones got... were off. On, oh, at the okay. Start well, of the game. I got a different malfunction. Really, I caught a little bit of uh, Oklahoma UTSA because all huh. of a sudden, like during one of the commercials, so I'm watching on my local RSN. And for those in Chicago that may be listening right now, that of course is the Marquee Network. It's basically the Cubs version of the Yes Network for what most of the people I'm assuming out there watch this game on. So I'm watching it, and I think it's at about the under 12 of the second half. And all of a sudden, it cuts to Oklahoma UTSA. So in case you were wondering, uh, Oklahoma handled UTSA pretty pretty easily in that oh, good. game. I was like, I was oh, maybe the, I was like, <laughs> maybe uh, Syracuse. It's too big of a blowout for for them to be showing it, so they. They flexed out of it, but no, it actually was a bigger point disparity in the other game. It was like a 35-point game in the the UTSA. So, I don't know. Do we have to do like the UTSA update every week now on the show? Yeah, I'd rather not. I think think we have enough Syracuse At least they sucked sucked, uh, against against Oklahoma. So, for those worried out there. Okay, so... Now we kind of have a little bit better idea of what the timetable is after Jim Beheim's press conference and the timetable I mean on, on Buddy Beheim and it seems like they did not practice for three straight days and I think it was a walk-on we're now finding out was the player who tested positive. Beheim Buddy did not test positive but because he was within two feet or he was within the the guidelines of being too close the to the player. Devices. Yeah, yeah. On those devices and I guess he was next to him for 14 minutes, Beheim was saying, and if it was uh, 
if it was 10 minutes or 9 minutes, then he'd be good to go. But now, because he was too close to him for that long, he has to sit at home. He said he was very distraught, like wanted to be out there, of course. That makes sense. And now we know he's not going to play against Ryder on Saturday. Not a big deal. But he's not going to play against Rutgers on Tuesday as well. Beheim confirmed that in the post-game press conference. So going forward, Beheim even talked about Coach Beheim. I always have to clarify when we're doing this. But he talked about how Buddy, who knows what he'll be like when they have their next game on the road. I think it's Notre Dame to start ACC play after that. Because sure, he'll be back. But not only is it 14 days off and 14 days in the quarantine, you also are going to be rusty when you return to action and you are eligible to return to action. And aren't we kind of seeing that right now with Joe Girard? Because he doesn't look right right now. And we'll talk about Girard later on because I think we have slightly differing views on how he's been playing so far. But I'm, yeah, it, it's definitely concerning. And hopefully, the nice thing about Buddy, though, is that he has... That little, I, I listen. I don't know if he's staying at home, home like as in the Bayheim residence where he can go shoot in the gym there and all that stuff. Um, who knows? Maybe he'll lock himself. Maybe he's he's setting up a bed in there, an air mattress, something in there, so he can quarantine in the gym. That might be kind of nice, and maybe you wouldn't see the same sort of rust. But anyway, I'm I'm very concerned about the future. At least that that Rutgers game definitely troubles me, and then after that, whenever he does get back into action if the rust is going to catch up with him. Because I think we have seen that with a number of these players with some of the layoffs that they've had when there haven't been a whole lot of practices. Yeah, the good news is, and there's not really any actual good news from this, but it got it gave us a chance to see Kadari starting and to see Kadari get a lot of minutes in this game. And I did some player grades. I tweeted it out at LO underscore Syracuse on our account. Go give us a follow if you want to get our live thoughts during the game. But I said Quincy A+, Kadari A, Woody Noon A-, and then there's there's kind of everyone else in this game. I put Dolzhai B-, Alan Griffin C+, and then Braswell and, and uh, Gerard were just in a tier of their own. Like, they were Ds to me, and, and you could even make a case that they were Fs. I saw a couple people tweet at us and say that. Braswell... Just quickly on him before we get into the others. This is he's weird. Gotta, it, well, he, he's got to transfer or something. Like he, I, I'm just at the point now where I root for the guy really hard, and it's kind of a fun thing on Twitter, like Bobby Braswell, and everyone gets hyped up for him when he's in the game. Earl. Yeah, it, like all that stuff's great, but if we're being completely objective about it and we're calling a spade a spade, he kind of stinks, and, and he has not shown us anything. And it's it, it's probably because of the injury. Like, he's a high-jump guy that got front-rimmed by a dunk on the in the game the other night. So it's it's kind of concerning that we haven't seen anything from him at this point. And I think Woody basically jumped him in the lineup tonight. I mean, it's going to be a, a thing that is in flux, but I'm a little concerned about his future with the team and where he slots in in the upcoming years. I don't understand the shots with him. I mean, he, he went... 1 for 7 in the game, 0 for 5 from 3. The big complaint I had with him when I saw him in the first game, too, against Bryant was, what are you doing? He's just taking all these shots. It feels like, I mean, he was in there for 14 minutes last night, and it felt like he tried to maximize every single one of those minutes by the second he touches the ball, shoot. And I remember hearing them talk about this in the, the broadcasters in the first game, saying how he's the only guy in program history where the coaches feel like they have to tell him, shoot the ball, and I think you're starting to see the after effects of that, and maybe you're seeing why he isn't very confident in getting his shot off. 
All right, guys, football game coming up tomorrow against Notre Dame. It's a 2.30 p.m. start on NBC. If you missed our football discussion, go back and check that out. It was a good one with Blocked on Irish this week. We went in detail. That was the Thursday podcast that we dropped. But you know what you got to have by your side during this football game? A Coors Light. It's the only beer out there that's literally made to chill. Coors Light wants you to know that no matter what sport is on this fall, Saturdays are your time to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold package. It's crisp and refreshing, just like the Colorado Rockies, and perfect for a moment to unwind. There's nothing like cracking open a Coors Light when you got the game on in front of you. Always one of my favorite moments of the weekend. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Just in time for the Saturday game. Go now, get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Let's talk about the positives. Quincy and Richmond. Kadari's stat line was just stupid in this game. 16 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists, 4 steals, 3 blocks. Bayheim originally praises him after the game, says he was the difference in the game, says that'll help him a lot. Later on in the press conference, the very last question, he did this weird thing I've never seen him do, where he literally said, yeah, I've got a couple more questions. I've got time if, if you guys want to do a couple more questions. When it was basically known that this would be his last question, he was like, no, fire off a couple more at me, which was odd. But he it got, gave us a chance to get to another question in regards to Kadari, where he kind of went at his like fitness and and if he's in shape or not he basically said Kadari has never worked this hard and that since he's come to Syracuse I think he's gotten really tired and learned that like you got to get in shape and he's worried about him if a team starts to pressure on the ball and runs him out there and and makes him work really hard he was like if that's the case we might have to pull him after five minutes because he gets that tired that's concerning the biggest thing well it sounds concerning, I think, on the outset. To me, if your biggest flaw right now as a freshman is conditioning, I'm not worried. Not. Because that's the, one of the easiest fixes you can make. Like, you always hear about, oh, the easiest fix when you go from being a college athlete to an NBA player is uh, you can fix the shooting, right? It, it's a pretty easy, not easy fix, but it's one of those things where you see a lot of great players take a jump from being solid at, as a shooter to great as a shooter. If you, your biggest flaw right now as a freshman, as your conditioning, I'm not worried about that. I'm just not. It's such an easy fix. Go run. Go run. Yeah. It's not that hard. No, I think it's it's definitely true. And it's odd that he said it, Beheim, because it seemed like everyone on Twitter was kind of questioning Joe Girard's conditioning. And I'm I'm somewhat with them. Like, some people were throwing around, I've got did a he theory. put on some weight? Is he out I've of got shape? got a theory. Okay. So... I read this in David Ortiz's autobiography. Oh, you know, man. David Ortiz, not fat. Not fat, David Ortiz. <laughs> he just wears a really big jersey. And I think Gerard is big jerseying us. I really do, because I saw, I, th- I was like, wow, he does look a little huskier out there. And then they do some close-up shots, and you can see how much his jersey moves. I think he's big jerseying us. I think, he, so what, he's like six foot, six one maybe? So he yeah, should probably one. be wearing like uh, a medium or a large. I think he might be wearing, well, I guess they used like the Canadian sizing, I think, with these authentic jerseys. So it's it's like a, hmm. a 50 or something or 48 that he's wearing. He should, but he's actually wearing like a 52 or like an extra large when in reality he should be wearing a large or a medium. 
He does look kind of just slow, my theory. Though. He does like, look don't a you little. Agree? I think he's a he is a step slow. It feels like, but I'm not worried about Joe Girard even in the slightest right now. Really? Not I worried. Mean, okay, let, let's just get into this now because I think this is the biggest topic of the game: Richmond versus Girard. And we put out a poll on Twitter: who should start? I don't think it's at that point, but. I just threw it out as where where are we at with the fan base? And obviously recency bias is going to play into these answers a lot. But 64% of our responses so far as of recording this say Kadari Richmond should start at point guard. 36% say Joe Girard. I'm not there yet. And I think Beheim brought up some good points. He's a shooter. That's why he's out of rhythm. He said the same thing about Girard. And it, it really hurts the shooters a lot when you have this lack of practice time. They've only practiced three times in the last 20 days, according to Bayheim at this point. That's tough. The thing is, though, like, he's not getting two-point shots. He's made one two-point shot all season, and he's playing more minutes than anyone else, so that's not an excuse. And, and, the, and the thing about Gerard, why is he out there? What's his value? It's his offense. If he's not giving you offense, he's a liability on the defensive end of the ball. So he's got to get to the point where he looks a little bit more confident on offense. He does. And here's why I'm not worried is because we have seen, again, you bring up he's a shooter. He's a streaky shooter at that too. So everyone kind of has this low. Everyone gets, like, I think back to Buddy Beheim's freshman season. Remember Buddy Beheim's freshman season? He was awful. Absolutely yeah. awful. There, he registered some DNPs, coaches' decisions, and it's kind of getting your groove back. And I feel like that's something Gerard's kind of doing right now is he's trying to get his groove back because I think he is one of those players who did get hit a, extra hard by the the layoff that this team was forced to have. So I'm not worried yet. I would say I think he can bounce back against Ryder. He's got a couple games under his belt right now. Get another practice in. And he should be good to go in my eyes. I, I'm not worried right now about Joe Girard. I, I feel like everyone's kind of overreacting right now to this this early struggles from him. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think it's very easy to overreact, and it's only two games. The first game was very bad. This game was honestly probably worse, because at least in the first game, he hit some big shots and kind of showed you why he is, is still a huge guy for this team. This game, he didn't get that opportunity because it was such a blowout. I just, I would I would say this. One point guard looks very confident out there, and one point guard looks tight, and the sophomore is the one that looks tight, and the freshman looks confident, and that's Kadari Richmond. And I never thought that I'd say this about Gerard, but he looks tentative. He's always been an ultra-aggressive, score-first type guy, he can put it on the put it on the ground and score. He can get to the basket. He can shoot. And we're just not seeing him put his head down and drive to the basket. Like, there is a lot of tentativeness in his game. And he's just in this haze. He's in this funk. He'll probably snap out of it. But at some point, like, if he's not giving you anything on defense, it's concerning what he's putting up on offense against some bad teams. Like, Brian and Niagara, I know there's no practice time, but everyone's dealing with that. And he's way behind the rest of the team right now in regards to what he's putting out there offensively. Here's kind of what I look at it like, okay? Think about in football when you've got a, a number one receiver, all right? And you've got a number two, a solid number two receiver. Like I think back to the Texans when they had DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller, okay? Yep. And then DeAndre Hopkins, okay, he misses a game. So Will Fuller becomes the number one receiver for that team for the next game. 
And Will Fuller, a big reason why Will Fuller is so good is because a lot of the number one attention goes on Hopkins. Well, when Fuller becomes the number one, he's not as effective, okay? So now I liken that back to here. Think about every single game plan last season against Syracuse. Joe Girard was probably item number three on the scouting report. Now he's item number one, and usually you don't see a guy go from number three to number one in a matter of moments, okay? So we talked about this a little bit, uh, uh, the whole who's going to lead the team in scoring, and I think both you and I were in agreement it was going to be Girard this year. And I still i am not ready to back down from that quite yet because he's got plenty of time to turn it around, but... The thing is, is he has to get used to now being treated as the number one on the scouting report. And we saw this because think about the Elijah Hughes. Whenever Elijah missed games, he missed them in game. Remember? Because he would get hurt during the game. I don't think he ever missed a game. There as was a one game. After it was effect. NC State. Was it? Well, we found out about but he, he, 10 minutes before, I think. I thought he began that game, though, and then it was very early that he had to get taken out. Anyway, yeah, but the, he played, like, Gerard was basically the guy the entire game, and NC State, by that point, would have keyed in on their scouting report. It's like, okay, right, now but we they're, have to stop they're, him. They're focusing the game plan around Elijah Hughes for that entire time, and now Joe Gerard is that Elijah Hughes for this team. He is the guy that every single team is going to key in on every single game, and I think a lot of teams do view Gerard one, Buddy two, Allen three. And now you're going to have to deal with the likes of Kadari and Quincy. And that that's a good thing for Syracuse that it looks like there might be uh, a little bit more depth in terms of overall skill on the team. So that's good. But I'm, I'm looking at Gerard and I'm just thinking he's going to have to kind of ease his way into playing that role of the, the number one on this team. And it's not going to be necessarily an easy thing, but you'd rather have him have his struggles against a Niagara, against a Bryant, or hopefully not, but even against a Ryder, than against the UNCs, the Virginias, the Dukes, the the Carolinas, all that stuff. So if he lays another egg against Ryder, are you still, like when does it get to the point where you're really concerned? ACC play, because these games mean nothing to me. Well, I mean, Rutgers means something. Well, be... Rutgers means something, but ACC play is honestly what means the most. Play well in your league. Yeah. And if he can play well in ACC play, no one's going to remember the Niagara game. No one's going to remember the Bryant game. Even if he lays an egg against Rutgers, no one's going to remember the Rutgers game. If you're going out and you're playing well against Duke, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Clemson, all those teams, then no one remembers these games. Yeah, I'm not overly concerned, and I think, so we got some interesting responses from some people on Twitter. Let's start with, these are basically the two sides of the coin. I'll read you off two of these. We'll start with at uh, Syracuse underscore fan. His username is 1-0 baby with about nine Ys, and you've got you've to change that. Got to update that, yeah. 2-0. Yeah, <laughs> but he said the recency bias within this fan base is absurd. I love everything about Richmond right now, and dude has absolutely earned more and more playing time, but to start him over Gerard in the third game is not a good decision. Let's see what Richmond puts up against ACC teams. I, I totally agree with that. I think those are all pretty fair points. That's kind of mostly Can where I say I this? Stand. It's got to yeah. be, it's got to work both ways. We can't be pumping the tires on a guy like Kadari and saying, oh, he's, he's so great. He's the next MCW for this team, and, and who knows? Maybe he will be, and, and hopefully he is. But we can't be saying that and also holding Gerard hostage. Like, don't let's not be prisoners of the moment here. And yeah, and 
reward Kadari for his his performance against a bad team and also penalize Joe. It, it works both ways here. All right, real quick, we know everyone has a wall that they have to break through during their day, whether it's the meetings, the paperwork, or now you've got the added stress of all the holiday season and all that stuff. So how are you gonna break through that wall? Well, I'll tell you how. Built Go, use their easy to carry one and a half ounce packages that make it perfect to put in your briefcase, gym bag, pocket, whatever. It'll help you break through whatever wall life throws your way. There's three delicious flavors, peanut butter, honey, chocolate mint, and chocolate coconut. Built Go combines energy gel with fast absorbing collagen protein, which makes it easy on your stomach as well. It'll ignite your day and then keep you going strong thanks to B6 and B12 vitamin levels. Think of your favorite energy drink without the same crash feeling. It's natural for your body, so it's better for your body. You too can break down those daily walls. Go to BuiltGo.com, use our promo code LOCKED for 20% off your next order. Again, BuiltGo.com, promo code LOCKED. You'll get 20% off your next order. Let's go! These teams they play, like, pretty much stink. Brian played pretty good, but Niagara, I mean, they're coming off the COVID thing. They look terrible. And they never were too. a good matchup. Yeah, yeah so... Like, that's how I felt about Dolja after game one. Let, let's pump the brakes a little bit. And that's kind of my general take is even Woody Newton. Did he look impressive? Yes. Did I like what I saw from him? Yes. But I don't really think he's a rotation guy this year. I'm still not. I still need to see it in a Rutgers, in a, even a Georgetown. Like, that, they're not good. They just lost to Navy. They, you know, it's three o'clock somewhere and Georgetown stinks. That whole thing. But Woody has not... Like, he's, he doesn't have enough offensive pop to play against ACC guys this year, I don't think. And it's easy for us to watch him against Niagara and be like, oh, man, this is a hidden gem freshman. I want that to be the case. I, I think there's a lot of good in his game. I liked how he looked in the 2-3 zone. His shot looked prettier than I think it was advertised as, and he knocks down a 3 right away. He was active. Beheim definitely complimented him after the game. But then he had a couple bad turnovers against Niagara. And it's like, okay, what's he going to do against ACC competition? So, in general, yeah, yeah. Two, I think... two turnovers, two fouls in 15 minutes. Not to take away anything from the kid. He also had nine points in five minutes in 15... Yeah. Or nine points and five rebounds in 15 minutes. Look, so I, I didn't even think he was going to play. I mean, he exceeded right. expectations, for sure. And I think he's more of a talking point going forward. I'd like to continue to see him out there. I just am not ready to crown him as a rotation guy after putting up nine points in garbage time against Niagara. Now, not total garbage time when he first came in, but they were already pretty much in, in hand, even in the first half when he came in. Yeah, Beheim knew when the game was over. He knew. I mean, you see some of the guys that were getting minutes. I mean, John Bull gets nine minutes in this game. Edwards gets into the game. I mean, he, he emptied the bench in this one. Pretty much anyone except for the walk-ons got in. Yeah, it took him a while to get there. But then once he did, he was like, you, you, everyone go. <laughs> everyone get in the game from the bench. And he didn't bring in Frank Anselm. And I, I guess he did bring him in at the very end of the game. But we really didn't get any sort of reason to update our, our backup center power rankings. John Bull played more minutes. But I do think Beheim played John Bull because it's Niagara. He wanted to, yeah, he wanted it five to experiment out, there. Yeah. He, the well, kid hasn't played a single minute of college basketball. Yeah, th th to me, the the minutes distribution of the backup centers today didn't tell me anything about the backup center role and who Jim is finding favor with. Yeah, and I also mean more because Niagara is such a small team that has shooters in the corner, and that's where they were going to try and beat the Syracuse centers. So 
Jesse came in, and immediately they got a corner three, and he was just too slow to win, and Jim just yanked him. Frank is all Frank and Jesse are bigger bodies and not as quick and light on their feet. And like uh, Alan Griffin said, John Bowles is our best perimeter defender at the center position. Marek right. is the same way. So when they're going up against a team that has that type of personnel, it just doesn't really make sense to play Frank or Jesse that much. When they're going up against bigger teams, he said this in the press conference afterwards, that's when they'll play the bigger guys. That's when they'll need the bigger guys. I think Rutgers qualifies as that game. That being said, probably would have liked to have at least seen Frank a little bit more in this game and Jesse a little bit more. I get it, but the game was in hand, and regardless of the personnel thing, it it just be good for them to go out there and see what they've got. Right. I, I'm, again, to me, the way he broke up the minutes tonight for the backup centers told me nothing, and I, I'm more looking forward to seeing, okay, what does he do against Rutgers if Marek gets in foul trouble early? Now, Marek didn't commit a single foul in this game, and it was interesting. I believe Red Autry was on Orange Nation. I forget who. There was some assistant that was on with uh, Seth Goldberg and, and Stephen Fonte earlier in the day yesterday, and he was saying Marek is learning and knows that he cannot foul. And honestly, I know that uh, Niagara didn't pressure the inside at all, as evidenced by them shooting 36 threes in this game, but the fact that he didn't pick up a single foul I think is a step in the right direction. Yeah. And then the other uh, Twitter thought, by the way, on the Kadari, uh, Joe Girard, who should start? Just want to give the other perspective. Connor Lipke tweeted at us. I thought this was interesting. He said, Kadari has a much more complete game. JG3 hits an occasional big three. That's not worth having a slow point guard who can't take the ball to the rim when he needs to. Okay. That's to me. I don't like that because We've also seen Joe Girard go up off for 30, okay? He's not some occasional big three hitter, all right? Let's not confuse the two. He's not Robert Ory, all right? He's <laughs> the, the guy can go off for 30 out of, if you had to pick every single game, if we had to do like a, you know how like in baseball, you'll do like the pick to click the for, for someone to hit a home run? If yeah. you had to pick one guy in the lineup every single night to, to get you 30 points, I would pick. Joe Girard every single night because he's the most likely to get you 30 points in a game. Yeah. I will say, and I feel like we're not giving Quincy enough credit here because he was just really good. And that that's kind of all we have to say about him in this game. But about two minutes into the game, after Quincy got like five of the first eight points or whatever it was, I was just like, yeah, he's going for 25 tonight. And then I was thinking, Oh, he pulls did... off just short. Yeah. 23, but which still in 25 minutes. Yeah, that's ludicrous how good he was. Another double-double for him. He only missed one shot for the... One shot, uh, one field goal, one free throw he missed. So he he was super efficient. And he hit that three, too. You know what he kind of reminds me of? He kind of reminds me of the early stages, at least offensively, of Jimmy Butler. And the way that he moves, the way that he utilizes his pump fake, the way that he can kind of get to wherever on the floor. You know what? We talked about this after the Bryant game, how... It seemed like this team was out of shape. It seemed like some of these guys sat around for a dozen days and didn't do anything. Well, I can tell you this. Quincy Garrier, he ran his sprints in the South parking lots, okay? (laughs) That's what I saw. I saw a guy out there that was active. He was slimmed down. He could move. He was agile. I mean, he was flying. He was like, he could have been a defensive back for Syracuse, a linebacker for Syracuse. He was just moving all over the place. And maybe it is just the fact that he's healthier now, but... He looked like a totally different player because 
everyone liked to compare him to O'Shea Brissett. And I was like, no, he's a little bulkier. He's not quite O'Shea Brissett. He doesn't have the same movement that O'Shea has. But I saw a completely different guy out there, a guy that was more like O'Shea Brissett than, than I had seen in the past. I will say he is a better finisher at the rim than O'Shea. There were a lot of times you'd watch O'Shea. and Well, O'Shea was one of the worst finishers around the rim. Yeah. If you remember, and, like all the hoop math stuff would tell you he was awful around the rim. And the stats back up that Quincy is good. Synergy had him as one of the best in the country, finishing at the rim and finishing on post-ups. I saw our, our pal Matthew Gutierrez tweeted that out. But he's great at the rim, and they don't have a ton of capable, like solid rim finishers. I think Gerard is a little, like he's shaky in that area sometimes, especially when you get a pretty big body on him. He He's good at drawing contact, but he's not great at finishing. Beheim's not a great rim finisher. I mean, I'm I'm holding it to a pretty high standard here. But I, I think you're think right, though. I don't guys. think you're you're off base here. I would say we'll see what Griffin is with it, but yeah, I mean, he he didn't do a great job of of inside the the arc in this game. I mean, he he finishes one of seven from two, so that's not great. Outside of that, though, I think you're right. Like the Here's the test of who is the best finisher. Think about who flexes their muscles the most, right? Quincy. Like, it's it's <laughs> it's the classic, like, get the N1 flex. Who yeah. flexes the muscles the most? It's Quincy. So, yes, I'm going with Quincy Gary, best finisher on this team. And I, I think you're right. I don't know who's second. Yeah, I mean, Marek's it's one not of those very things, good either. Just, right, it's one of those things. Just ask a coach and, and kind of take their word for it. Yeah, I... I don't even think there's really a close second. I mean, it's just a group of pretty below average finishers because Sidibe should be better. He he probably grades out pretty good around the rim because he gets a lot of... He only shoots when he's open, and that's why his field goal percentage numbers are always really high. I, I think Kadari is a good finisher at the rim, and he's good at getting to the rim. And that is a separator right now that you can clearly tell between him and Joe Getting back to what Connor Lipke tweeted at us, Joe, I'm not too concerned. I think it is unfair to call him an occasional three guy. I agree. I'm not too concerned about the shooting because I think that is a rhythm thing. That'll come back. He's a streaky guy. Every shooter gets in down spots. Duncan Robinson would tell you that he's gone through slumps before. The thing I'm concerned about is that he's made one two-point field goal and he's just not looking great at the rim. And it's Niagara, and it's Bryant, and I, like, that's concerning to me because it's only going to get tougher from here. I really want to keep monitoring his two-point field goal numbers because that's where I think he can take a leap this year because his three-point shooting will go up. He shot at 32-33% last year. It's got to be better than that, and I say that as he's off to a really slow start to the year. I'm watching the two-point field goals, though, because Kadari is just much better at getting to the rim right now. You know what I want to see out of him? Here's what I want to see. I want to see one of those games where, and again, I'd love to see him start knocking down threes at a consistent rate. He goes one for six in the game from distance in this one, but I want to see one of those games where he gets 15, 17 points and goes like eight for eight or nine of 10 from the free throw line. Just show me that you're attacking. Because he only shot yeah. two free throws in this game. And again, he's a super prolific free throw shooter. He dabbles around 90%. But he goes one for two in this game. Why don't you get to the line? 
draw that contact, use your football body. You're going up against Niagara. You're bigger than a lot of these kids. So I would I would agree with you in that I want to see him get to the basket, not necessarily monitor his two-point percentage. I want to monitor his aggressiveness. And I think yeah. once he's a little more in shape, once he's got his rhythm, maybe some confidence back, then we will see a much more aggressive Joe Girard. And by the way, his two-point field goal made, the one he's made all year, was like an 18-foot jumper. It was around a screen on the left yep. wing. He. He mm-hmm. hasn't made a layup all year. And I think it was because you tweeted it out like we have not seen a two-pointer from Joe Girard. And then five minutes later, I think he went around that screen and hit it. Yeah. And I COVID tweeted takes it right exposed. after there was one play on a, on a fast break leak out where it was like, okay, here it is. Because I was waiting for his first and, and it was like he was clearly ahead of the pack. And it was a clear like, yep, that's a bucket for Girard. And he missed it. The guy came back. He thought it was a goaltending. I never got a clear replay on it. Maybe it was. Maybe he got cheated out of that one. But, I mean, come on. Give us a layup, Joe. Like, it's two below-average teams you're going against, and you can't get to the basket at all. And it is probably the the COVID stuff, and he's got to shake off that rust. But like I said, the rest of the guys have done a much better job. If you're just comparing how he's played compared to Kadari and compared to some of the other guys that are kind of in the same situation of not practicing, he's well behind the curve right now offensively compared to the rest of the team. And we'll see how this develops because I think once we start to see more practices, and quite frankly, we might not see it in the next two games. We might not see it until that next Saturday. Who, who do they have after after Rutgers? I think it's is Notre it, Dame. Is it Notre Dame for that first conference game? And listen, Notre Dame, I think, is is not a very good team this year. So we'll get that first barometer test. But I'm looking oh, forward to it's see- Boston College. Is it Someone's Boston College? Okay. Well, Boston right College, actually, I think, although I saw before we recorded this, they were getting their doors blown off by Florida. But I think for the most part, BC has actually overperformed this year. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. Are these guys going to start to get more into shape and start to get their legs under them a little more? And we know they're going to have to get their legs under them a little more because most of these guys are going to be playing 37, 40 minutes a night. So... We'll see how it all rounds out, but I'm I'm monitoring Gerard. I'm not worried yet, but I'm I'm watching. I'm watching. I'm not even skeptical yet. I'm just watching with a keen eye. Yeah, I think that's fair. All right, well, that's going to do it for the pod this week. We're here with you every single weekday. You can subscribe so you'll get our Monday podcast right to your preferred podcast feed. We'll probably be hitting on Ryder a little bit. We'll, we'll figure out when we're going to talk football and when we're going to talk basketball because you got a doubleheader coming your way on Saturday. But thanks for listening. As always, drop a review for us. We'd appreciate that. And follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse. For Tyler, I'm Tim. We'll talk to you guys next week. Oh.